Hi, and welcome to Leadership Amplified. Glad to have you listening to another inspiring leadership story. The purpose of the podcast is to amplify the voice of ordinary leaders who are doing extraordinary things. I'm your host, Dr. Karen Morley. Thanks for joining me. Today's guest is Dr. Charmaine Gittleson. She's a non-executive board director in the biotechnology sector and sits on the boards of Antisense Therapeutics, George Health and Bayon Therapeutics. She also consults in clinical development strategies to healthcare private equity investment companies and biotech organisations. Charmaine has extensive experience as a pharmaceutical physician and enterprise leader. She's known for strong business acumen, authenticity, professionalism and collaboration. Charmaine began her career as a medical advisor with Merck Sharp and Dome in South Africa, was medical director Asia Pacific for Covance, then joined CSL in 2006. She held a series of roles with CSL in both Melbourne and the USA, including Senior Vice President Clinical Development for CSL Bearing. Her final role with CSL was as Chief Medical Officer. In that role, Charmaine had accountability for clinical research, medical safety, medical ethics and patient matters for all development programs and on-market products. She provided leadership in strategic product development, planning and implementation across multiple therapeutic areas. And under her oversight, the clinical group had an unprecedented run of five major product approvals and launches within a two year period. She's a graduate of the Australian Institute of Company Directors and the Stanford Directors course. Charmaine is passionate about advancing patient and community health outcomes through partnership in development, contributing to scientific progress through strategic innovation balance with risk tolerance and the development of talent, particularly women in pharma. Charmaine, hi, and welcome very much to the podcast. Um, it's a great pleasure to have you here today. Um, what I would like to start our conversation today with is hearing you talk about your leadership experience um, and career and some of the major lessons that you've learned, the experiences that you've taken through with you, um, particularly as you've moved now from being in organisations to being on the board of organisations. You look back at your career, what have been the significant learnings and lessons along the way? Well, thanks, Karen. Um, I, I I find it interesting every time somebody asks me this to think about it, and uh, fascinating that each time I actually see my career and my journey a little bit differently. And mm. the thing that struck me this time was um, I, I was thinking about realizing that actually it really started when I was a teenager and at school, and I've never ever considered that time before being in a real job being paid 
was actually part of a leadership journey. And, and what, what really made me think about it was my own children who are mm. now 20 and uh, at university and, and, you know, have been traveling and that and looking at them and realizing that they're actually starting their journey already. Um, and so when I, when I look back now and I think about those things that I learned as such a young person that, that really formed my character, I realized that that has contributed immensely to, to mm. my leadership. And, and the reason I say that is because I think many of those formative experiences speak to my values mm. as an individual. And, yep. and as I've gone through each role, I've, I've um, learned to appreciate more that it's my values that actually drive my behavior as a leader. Um, mm. And so that, you know, that's why I, I found that really interesting. Um, and, and the fact that I, I learned probably one of the very first things um, that has carried me through is that leadership can come at, from any level. Now, mm-hmm. that's what I very strongly believe in and, and have tried to recognize as I've been in um, positions, you know, more senior to others or leading teams, et cetera, is that leadership can come from any level. And, and I, I know from my own experience, not everybody sees that, that there are some very um, hierarchical people that don't. But I, I learned at an early age that if, you, if you're passionate and you speak up and you um, want to get involved and either you have the skills or you offer to learn the skills and to contribute, um, you really can provide leadership at whatever level you are in the organization, whether that be that you are a change agent or um, somebody that notices when others need help or notices when things could improve in an organization or brings forward innovative ideas or creative ideas. That's all part of being a leader in in an environment. Um, So I think it was one of the very first things that I learned and carried through. Mm. Um, And when I then think of the sort of my my first really long-term role uh, in the corporate world came after I had been in medicine for a long time and training in medicine. Um, and medicine trained me to be a very hierarchical, almost autocratic type mm-hmm. of leader. Uh, and it really took me away from my authentic self. It took me a long time to realize that. And I'm jumping around a little bit, but it's actually only since I've left the corporate world um, and I no longer feel like I have to prove myself. And mm. we can talk about that a little bit later. Because yeah. um, <laughs> certainly in medicine, I felt I had to prove myself and you have to be right every time, you know, with a patient. And I think yes. I carried that through for yeah. a very long time. Um, I let go of a lot of my creative self. Um, sort of and my just general intuition as an individual that I, I feel I've only am reclaiming now um, as, mm. a, as a more independent person. Um, but I think when I came into the corporate world, um, I, I certainly learned very quickly that I could get a lot more achieved by being on a team than by being in that hierarchical autocratic type of environment. Mm. So um, I think that was the, probably the next big big learning for me was keeping quiet in a team and listening and contributing when I had value to add rather than just speaking for the sake of speaking, which many people do um, in a team. And I think also um, being in the team uh, and, you know, actually, Karen, this is something that you taught me so many years ago, that that being in the team, you can get very caught up 
being on the dance floor, which was an analogy that you used mm-hmm. me, I've never forgotten. You can get very caught up in being in the dance floor and that actually the greatest contribution that you can bring is still being on that dance floor, but being able to step up onto the balcony and look down and see things from a different perspective and bring that to the team. I think those, you know, learning that I could contribute at any level and learning that I, you know, gain value in being in the team, but stepping up were, were two very big learnings for me, big lessons, mm. you know, to, yeah. to, um, to, to understand how to use them um, were big things for me. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, along the way, um, I think the, probably the next thing was, was learning to be connected to people. When I first, so when I first went into my corporate role, I was a specialist, sort of a technical specialist, and it was about two years before I had a team that was reporting into me, and I really didn't understand, and it was before I had a family of my own, I really didn't understand that you could be giving people guidance, direction, teaching, mentoring, and still be a human being. <laughs> you know, and still be compassionate or connected. I, I felt I had to be this 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 distant person. I, I'm not sure where it came from. Maybe my very stoical English parent upbringing. You know, but um, I, I remember a, a, a person that was was working with me, and you know, really a peer and older than me, but reported into me, and she said to me you know, you could come out with us for like a coffee, you know, you don't have to be this, this distant person, you also need support, and we can give you that support, come out for us with a coffee, and you could just talk girl stuff, whatever it was, you know, and I didn't accept it, you know, that invitation. <laughs> and I what a nice invitation, though. <laughs> very nice invitation from somebody yeah. who was certainly more emotionally mature than I was at that stage mm. in my early 30s. Um, and and I didn't accept it. And it really did take time before I realized that you need your people. You need your network and your people. And that um, you are not being weak by, by having those people around you. And it, it took a while. And once I did realize that, and really what, what made me realize that is um, I was given a promotion and given the opportunity to work overseas. And I, at that stage, had young children, my husband and I and my young children. We did go overseas and we went somewhere where we didn't know anybody. And Mm. the expats where we were, were fellow Australians from the Australian organization. And um, as people can hear, I'm not originally Australian. So I went overseas as the Australian expat, except that everyone was saying, but you don't sound like the Australians, (laughs) you know, like what expat are you? Um, (laughs) and, And that was when I realized that, value of having um, your colleagues, so not just your friends outside of or your your family, but your colleagues as as a really good, close support network. And Mm. and not just your colleagues, but the people that worked with me every day, Um, the woman that provided me my administrative assistance really became a close close friend and support and and others. And um, just that and those people allowing me to soften and show that with them, I think um, really improved me as a leader because when I had to stand up in front of a very large group of people and tell them about six months into being there, um, we were restructuring. And actually some of your roles may or may not be here. And, you know, I, I was able to 
to do that um, in a way that I felt I connected with the individuals around me. And, mm. you know, people gave me the feedback afterwards that they felt that connection. But it was so important to me doing it that I actually felt I could connect um, mm. with them. Whereas, mm. you know, 12, 18 months beforehand, I think I would have stood up there almost as an automaton and told people yes. that without that connection. And it was that connection and them working together with me that we we did change that organization. Um, we did it smoothly, pretty rapidly, and we didn't drop any deliverables. And I, th I think that was because as a group, myself, my the leadership with me that were working with me, we really connected and supported each other and mm. that whole big group of people. Mm. So mm. I think those that those three are probably the ones that absolutely stand out for me as having transformed me as that person that went into and came out of medical school mm. and then went into and came out of my corporate career after you know 20 odd years. Mm. It almost sounds, in fact, like that, that um, needing to cut yourself off from people um, and not even realising that, that's almost the scientist mindset, isn't it? That rational it observer, that objective distance that you need to have from some things. And I think it's something that I recognise quite a bit working with scientists and engineers mm. that, you know, needing to learn that, that you can't take the same approach to people, um, which people obviously do once they start to work yes. with people and yes. see that that, yes. that doesn't necessarily get them the results that they want to. But um, I mean, that's that's a lovely kind of series of, of lessons around that sort of transformation for you into, and it's almost like it's, it's not the separation, it's not the lessons you needed to learn from people, but it's a really, a, and, and the connections with them, it's almost the connection with yourself. Correct. No? Correct. It's that kind of yeah. integration of all of yourself into the, the job of leading. I think it's so important that taking the time to really learn about oneself. Um, and I, and I, it's more than just the leadership competencies or where do I fall on a, a spiral graph and, you know, am I a finisher? Or, you know, it, it, it is very much about... Um, how you see or, or love yourself. And I don't mean that in an eerie fairy way, um, but more about, about accepting oneself and accepting, demonstrating or living into your own vulnerabilities, not about showing the vulnerabilities. And I know there are many people who feel they shouldn't show the vulnerabilities and I respect that. I think it's more about understanding your vulnerabilities and understanding your own triggers. And I think that mm. as I've learned that through through my life experiences, um, which many of which I asked for, put my hand up for, that that were tough and that pushed me out of my comfort zone mm. in, in many ways, um, as well as the experiences that I've had through relationships, I, I have found that my family relationships, and I think family relationships are not just about a partner or about your children. They are about your siblings and, and those people around you and your close networks, those close friends, or, you know, it's it's even been the dog that's died. It's it's the, the people around you and the things around you that you care about. That's your, your, your extended family. I mean, I, I say that, you know, really meaning that because as I say, I've 
changed countries twice. And so I have this extended family that's not blood family. It's about those, understanding those relationships and what motivates those relationships and how you interact with people and how you flex your style in those relationships. I think I've learned the most that I've, that I've taken back into my corporate life rather than trying to completely separate the two. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and it's not balance. I, I don't believe in balance. I don't think you can attain balance. I, for me, I never could. And when I put that stress on myself was probably when I was at my most unhappy uh, with myself because I just felt I was failing all the time. Um, but it's about, I, I realize that for me, I swing, you know, from one to the other, depending on where the greatest need is. And what mm -hmm. I've taught myself is that ability to swing, uh, still carry the other, but swing and focus where the greatest need is uh, and communicate with others why my attention might be elsewhere, if that makes mm. sense. Mm, it does. So by not focusing on this idea of balance, which is perhaps a bit mythical, but you, you've got that, that analogy of swinging from one to the other. So how do you do that? How do you... Um make a decision about one, you know, going from one to the other, um, even yeah. if this is yeah. another question, I know, but how did you give up the yeah. idea of yeah. balance? <laughs> well, I mean, I think at some stage during, during our time over the last probably 15 years, there was this whole concept of women in balance and the myth of balance, and I did try and attain that and realized I, I just couldn't. Um, actually, there was an article that I wrote, that, that I read, I'm so sorry, I read that was um, published in, I think, in the New Yorker by, by a woman um, who had been a politician and a career person, and she wrote this article saying, it's rubbish, and you can't, you can't achieve balance, and it's this whole myth, etc. And so that got me started thinking about it, um, and, and made me realize that I'm just not a balanced person that is this, you know, arrive at my meeting serene half an hour beforehand. No, I arrive like two minutes before or a minute before, and I've usually been on the phone or, you know, sorting out a child or dropped something, you know, just I'm one of those. <laughs> and, um, and and I realised that, that, um, that one of the ways that, that I adopted to make myself functional at work was I was quite strict about it, and I have to be strict about it, is that Sunday night is my preparation for the week. And I actually was only preparing for work. It was a thing that I did. Sunday night, go through the calendar, look what I need to do, decide what my priorities are, you know, prepare, read, whatever for work. Um, and I don't know why I had the light bulb moment of thinking, well, why don't you do this in life as well? And think about, just stop and think about what's going on in your life and what is um, creating havoc in my life or taking a lot of time or where do I need to put more energy in um, I, I did this uh, probably my my kids were about sort of six or seven years old and that so they were um, just in very early years of schooling um, wanting to do all sorts of activities and that kind of thing you know and I felt I was pulled in all these different directions and that's what made me stop and think you know um, organize life work out who needs mm. me and who's going to get my attention this week and it sounds artificial but it has made it has made over the years the biggest difference and I've stuck with that of, 
of actually consciously mm. thinking about it rather than letting life happen to me. My husband jokes and he says, oh, on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock when I come and sit down with him or say before COVID days, you know, let's go and have a, a coffee and read the paper. He'll go, oh, is this my hour now? And my schedule's in now, you know? Very tricky. And it is tricky because it's not quite, I'm not as obsessive as that at all. But yeah, that is that is kind of how I think about it and make that list of, oh, that friend I haven't spoken to or that friend the last time I spoke to mm. I realized is in trouble. I am making a note this week. She is my priority. I'm calling her. And if I have time, that's who I'm going out with. Um, mm. Yeah, so I took, you know, I, I do think that taking the lessons you learn in one area of life, taking it over to the other and mixing between the two is very valuable. Mm, fantastic. Uh, you talked about um, from the beginning, uh, recognizing that values were actually really critical, more important than competencies. And when you yes. think back over your career, you can really see the importance of values. So yes. as you reflect now in terms of values, what do you think have been the values that have been consistent for you and that have been there and that underpin your leadership um, over that time? Or even, you know, maybe they've evolved somewhat during that time as well with family and a growing kind of corporate yeah, responsibility. Yes. And no doubt they have evolved because I think, you know, the things that I hold dear to me now and actually are values that when I look at my career and when I've changed organizations and I haven't changed organizations that much but when I have um, it's been because I felt I was in an environment where my values weren't respected or I couldn't respect the values anymore of the organization because there was a conflict mm -hmm. um, and, and those for me for for number of years many years now have been um, respect for others always always treating an individual with respect, even if you think you don't agree with what they're saying, you know, or, or they haven't got something you think to contribute. I, I, I think that that is wrong. You always treat someone with respect. Um, and we care, you care, we care for one another. I, I, I value that really highly, seeing uh, an open acceptance and caring. Uh, and it, it was my it's been my mantra for years of saying to people, care for one another. And what do I mean by that in the work environment is, mm. you know, you walk past someone's desk and it's normally a tidy desk. And this last week, it's been a messy desk. Stop. Ask them if they're okay. You're in a team and somebody is not delivering on something. It is so, so tempting to become annoyed and you're going to let the team down or we're going to miss our, our bonus and, or, you know, become irritated with someone stop first there's a reason that person isn't delivering ask them do they need help can you advocate something for them care about each other mm. um, and I, I just think if you respect each other and you care for one another as a group you can do tremendous number of things and, and I, I as I say I bring that into my home environment my my sons are acting up stop what, what's happening? You know, let's talk about that before I admonish them. Um, those are def definitely have carried me through for, for a long period of time. And I, I'll tell you now, when I was a teenager at school and sort of first of those, I'm, I don't know that those were my values. I'm not <laughs> sure what they were at that time. Um, I, think that, I think the caring evolving. was evolving. I'm not sure the respect, <laughs> the respect, yes, was evolving because I do remember and notice people, you know, but I do remember um, and I have a vivid memory of this, of... Um, operating a colleague um, for not having delivered on something which 
uh, was going to pull our whole mark down. And then in medical school, you know, you just wanted to always have the best marks or, or I did. Um, and berating him for it in front of other people. And as I was doing it, seeing his face crumble um, and I could see how, yeah, how he crumbled inwardly and I didn't stop. The guy never spoke to me again afterwards and he was absolutely right. But it took me time to realize that what I had done was probably one of the most awful, worst things I could have done to an individual. I don't even know if maybe he carries it around with him. Maybe he doesn't, but maybe he does. What an awful thing to have done. Um, and I promised myself I would never do that again. I, I know I have over time with that, that intolerance that I've had to work on. But certainly by the time I came to my early corporate career, I made a, a conscious effort, never, do not ever do that again, because it's not about the work, it's about the people. Um, mm. So I think those two values have, have really, uh, are really at my core. Mm. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, let's talk about the recent shift that you've made in your career. So we've been talking about corporate life and you've spent a lot of time in very senior roles um, in organisations um, and now you're a non-executive director. So I'm really interested in you know, how you've made that transition, what that transmission transition means for you and what different perspectives that's giving you about um, you know, leading in an organisation. Mm, mm. and, and it is quite different. Um, you know, I, I did get to um, very senior roles in a large global organisation, uh, and that does entail being less operational and being more strategic. Mm. And I found I really enjoyed the strategic component, the long-term strategic component of um, what we were doing. And really, strat strategy is a roadmap. And it's about, you know, how, how are we going to do things better or get there in the best possible way? But if you really apply strategy, it's about scenarios, looking at different scenarios, applying different risk factors, looking at different outcomes and looking for solutions that can get you to that end point where you can um, quickly pivot along the way. And I found that really enjoyable. I wasn't sure at first why. I've since come to realize it's because it put me back in touch with my creativity that I had put on hold early on uh, studying and then even, even to an extent during my work because I, I was involved in, in, a, in a career where developing investigational drugs for, for people to take, there are no chances, you know, patient lives or paramount safety you just you know there's no so so I, I think I had very much suppressed the creativity just a little bit to allow us to go around corners but it, it spoke to that and I realized I enjoyed that I also realized that um, there are very few roles within some organizations and I, I will put that caveat there where that creative strategic thinking is truly valued because organizations are driven on results and the results are tend to be mm. short-term results okay so it depends on the kind of company you're in um, and so I thought well if I couldn't do it within my own organization how could I do it where could I do it um, and I you know I used to go and present to the board and I would hear the board asking me questions and I thought this could be somewhere so I explored that and I asked to speak to a board member a female board member who was wonderful and um, corroborated my viewpoint but also set me a challenge and said am I looking to be doing something different and less operational because I'm burnt out 
Mm. was a really good question to ask a, a person who's been in the corporate environment for a long time. And I had to look at that very carefully and answer the question. The honest truth was, yes, I was burnt mm. out. And so I thought, well, I won't act on this thought bubble. I'll wait a little bit and deal with that burnout, which mm. I try to do my best. And then I thought, well, kind of while I'm dealing with it, let me explore what skills I would need to be on a board. And the first thing I realized is that, um, rightly or wrongly, I felt being a woman who was not in the C-suite, um, and it was incredibly difficult, if not impossible, to break into the C-suite in the organization I was in, it really was being built in the Northern Hemisphere, and I now live in the Southern Hemisphere, um, that I needed a qualification. I needed something that said, I am credible. And for me, that was doing the Australian Institute of Company Directors course, which mm. was a, is a fabulous, fabulous course. Uh, it's commitment, but it's a fabulous course. I did that and I realized I really do want to do this. I really do want to be in the environment where I can ask these questions and, and set other people's minds thinking along different paths and working through that with them. That's thrilling. Mm. Um, so I started networking. Um, and talking to people who were on boards, um, you know, joining up. There's an organization called Women on Boards. I went to uh, their, their organized events, um, just really built up my skills, did a lot of reading and thought, where do I have transferable skills? So, you know, in essence, when I look back at it, I think, you know, I recognized that what I was looking for was not going to occur in my organization. So I was going to make it happen for myself. And I think that's the number one thing that we don't often do as women. Make it happen for yourself because you can. Yeah, um, yeah and, and so I, I then realized that, you know, for as long as the time that I was in the organization that I was with the, the level of responsibility and commitment that I had in a senior role, um, really difficult to go onto a board because I didn't want to go onto sort of the, a board that was, and, you, and one can, and I could have, you know, I could have gone on to say something that was less onerous, less demanding um, and voluntary. I want to make this a career. So I wanted to go onto yes. boards that came. Yeah. Okay. So I, I did eventually um, step out of my corporate career and I decided to do nothing for six months mm -hmm. and to just take a rest and really kind of get over the burnout and the terrible sleep pattern that I had. Um, and then I, consciously started networking again and looking but as I said you know I had to think of what were my transferable skills I've spent my life in science and pharma um, not necessarily was going to be able to get onto a board that did that so I, I spent that time thinking about put aside the deliverables actually mm. I worked with somebody I did I, I did reach out and work with somebody who um, is skilled in helping people transfer onto boards um, through women mm -hmm. on boards and and looked at you know so if this is the deliverable that you did the operational deliverable take that step back step on the balcony and look at what were the more executive skills that you needed to, to, to um, use? Was it understanding governance? Was it understanding um, uh, corporate relationships and reputation? Mm. Um, and so, and yes, you know, for, for example, yes, it was. A lot of what I did was protecting the corporate's reputation. Well, that is really important to a board. Um, mm. So it's doing that kind of thing. And that's how I sold myself in terms of these other skills that I have. And oh, by the way, if you want to see if I was able to execute upon them, these were the outcomes, but I didn't lead with that. 
Mm. Um, and, and I think that, that that's really important to be able to do. I be, you know, believe mm. in myself. That's probably the other big thing is that I, I really thought that the imposter syndrome, that's got to go. When you're sitting mm. on the board, you cannot be sitting there feeling, I've still got the imposter syndrome gone goodbye I'm I'm on the board at the equal level with everybody else the only person who's got a slightly higher title than you is the chair so done I'm here because I have skills you don't have mm. and experiences you don't have that's another really important thing that confidence mm. yes so how are you able to deal so effectively so quickly with that imposter syndrome uh, which hmm. so many women uh, feel. I mean, one <laughs> one of my concerns around the use of that title or that um, concept I've got to say is this this idea about leadership that you have to be certain. You mentioned that earlier in terms of your medical training, this whole idea of being absolutely certain and projecting certainty in what you do um, is something that we associate with leadership, not always for the better. Yeah. And then yeah. on the other hand, there's sort of reasonable doubt and having a sense of doubt, which means that um, you're open to exploring other options, maybe a bit of creativity. So it's that, I mean, I think one of the real challenges in leadership and how we think about leadership is being able to give up this idea of certainty um, and enter that realm of doubt without it being seen as a bad thing um and and for many women of course it becomes difficult because we don't project ourselves as confident men which is what leaders you know still are as a stereotype yes. so then yes. you know th this idea of um imposter syndrome um you know looms larger i look i, I wholeheartedly agree and i definitely have not always been able to do it and i realize as well that the environment i'm in uh, impacts impacts as well um, and you know it, at one stage when I was suddenly promoted into um, a senior role because something unfortunate happened to my boss um, outside of work and I was put into to that role um, a little bit sooner than I had thought I might have been mm. and I didn't feel I had all the skills um, I took a chance and I said to the group when I gathered them to give them the news that um, I told them I didn't know the answers and I was on a journey and I at that stage didn't know exactly how we were going to move, you know, do things and and that I needed their help mm. um, and that I knew that there were people in that, in that room or that audience and on the phone that knew more than I did in certain areas and I wanted their help and I, you know, and I built them around me. I said, you might not be reporting to me in the traditional sense, but I still want you at the table because of the skills and the things that you you bring. And um, and I I was scared doing it, but it was the honest truth, and I knew I couldn't do it on my own. Uh, and it and it did work out well. It was the best the best group um, of individuals that I've ever worked with, and it was the most I've ever attained and delivered in my career, working through those five years with those individuals um, in that way. Um, and it was through that that. Certainly for me, I was able to put that imposter syndrome to the side by acknowledging I actually just don't have all the bits mm. to fill into this and I need you. Um, after that role, um, and I had a different different boss after those five years, um, I found myself back in a situation where I did feel like I wasn't good enough. I, you know, I didn't know enough. I wasn't doing enough for him, et cetera. And it took me time to realize this is not me. I am the same person 
this is the environment in which I find myself. This is not a healthy environment. This is not a healthy dynamic. This is not me. This is about the way I am being led. And I don't even want yeah. to use that word, but okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that actually is, is at the same time that I realized I can't remain in this environment and I need to find another, I need to find my next career or role. Or And when I started to realize, actually, I like the strategy. How do I get, get myself into that environment? The things mm-hmm. coincided. So it was this environment of the values don't meet, the imposter's back, hang on, how come, what's going on? And then realizing, well, if I didn't have it before for a period of time, what's changed here? And it's not me. Um, mm. I, I also realized that when, when I felt that way, um, I spent a lot more time questioning what I was doing and trying harder, which was, to be honest, just a waste of energy. Um, uh, really, I, I think when you've got that kind of voice in your head telling you, you know, you're, you're not good enough without even realizing what I was doing, I was just trying harder, more mistrustful of others, wondering if they were doing better than me. Did they have a better relationship? Did they know more than me? Were they going to, you know, all of that kind of self-talk um, mm. that that initially was happening. And, um, you know, it's part of my Sunday evening of what do I need to do for work? What do I need to do in my life? Where are my priorities? And it's a kind of the third one is sort of in the, how am I feeling? What's different? Hang on, hang on, what's going on? And asking myself those questions and when I'm not able to answer them, finding that person, that confidant that I can talk to and can help me see, you know, see straight again or see some of the you know what's happening around me that's really important those three things I think yeah, yeah so so um that, that I'd say that about the imposter syndrome yeah. and it's yeah um, I think that's such a great way of kind of thinking about it and that experience of you know imposter syndrome I don't think is something you have it's something that the context kind of creates yes um, yes yeah yes. And that, uh, your story demonstrates that you know beautifully can I say unfortunately <laughs> okay so in terms then of um some lessons for younger leaders you've mentioned in particular that one of the things that has been really important for you in making this transition that you've made apart from the realization of the the need for fitting um and what would work for you is that that idea of being able to identify your transferable skills yes what else um what what other suggestions would you make for some younger leaders and for women particularly those who might be interested um in pursuing board roles what do they need to do to be what do they need, yeah. to, need to be thinking about i, I so the, the the two things i would like to mention um one thing that i have seen over and over uh, is women waiting for opportunities to happen Mm. and the guys don't do that they are networking suggesting um and 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 i think back to myself my my um quantum leaps in my career were because i put my hand up or i saw a gap and i told somebody that there was a gap and i put myself Mm. forward in that same conversation and i'll tell you it wasn't my idea that was it was never my idea it was i have an older sibling that would who i would talk to who's an entrepreneur who would say oh my god why aren't you doing that or you you know and it would give me the confidence but but i I look at it i realize that um a little bit of planning or keeping an eye out and asking or say not even asking saying there's a gap I'd like to do that or I can do that and why I want to do it 
I mm. think women need to take that on more. They need to advocate far more for themselves. In the same way that you know you you try and encourage um, a young person to advocate for themselves, we need to take that on through our own careers. Really important. The the other thing that I think is critical for women who want to move on to boards, and it doesn't matter if this is a not-for-profit, the school board, an ASX-listed board, you need to have some financial acuity. And many of us that do not go into the accounting side of things, that go into whether it be HR, the sciences, law, um, we, we don't put that on our agenda and we can get away with getting to very senior roles without having that, that level of insight. Um, you do not need to be an accountant, I learned, <laughs> but you do need to be able to understand the difference between a balance sheet and an income statement. You, do, you need to be at that, that more senior level that, uh, in terms of your financial acumen um, that you, you, you can help guide in terms of risk um, the, the financial spend or status of an organization. And it's not that hard to attain. And there are many courses that you can do that are short-term courses um, through some of the organizations I have mentioned. And I think you have to start to think a little bit more um, like, well, how would the CEO of an organization think? He's not thinking about a department. Many of us that lead big departments, we think about our department. You mm. have to start thinking enterprise. Mm and how things connect. So those two things, you really have to develop your financial acumen. And um, just, as I said, just to a certain level, you know, not to be brilliant at it, but um, to be able to understand where things could go wrong and, and to think at an enterprise level. And you can do that at whatever level you are in your career. You can be thinking about other departments and interdependencies, and you can be starting to ask, you know, well, what are we spending? Uh, you know, what is our PL? And you, you can start asking those questions at any time. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. I'm going to finish up our conversation just by asking your last question um, about the creativity piece. So, one of the reasons you moved to do what you're doing now was about allowing you to be more creative um, as well as more strategic. So, mm -hmm. um, can you comment on how that's happening in, in your board and um, consulting roles? Well, firstly, I, I've had to consciously put creativity back into my life outside of a work environment. Okay. Yeah, so, so I, um, and, and it's COVID. So, but <laughs> I did sign <laughs> myself up for, for things that I used to do when I was much younger. So, you know, I'm, I'm I, and for me, the creativity is in making things and feeling things kind of in my hands. So, so I took up pottery and I took up working with a, a clay that I can work with at home because again, pottery, you think, all right, I'm reliant on going out somewhere. And I thought, mm. I, I don't want to be reliant on others. What can I do within my home environment with YouTube? amazing these days you know youtube and my husband <laughs> so, so i have made a and it's had to be conscious and i've had to make a commitment to it so that i keep that creativity flowing and the most interesting thing that's come out of it karen is yes. it's really okay to make a mistake because <laughs> <laughs> you know what no one else knows what it was going to look like <laughs> and it still gives me joy and it's okay to pick up things and put them down and come back to it later two things that mm -hmm. i had trained out of myself that I've come mm -hmm. back to. And I think those two things, and I feel it coming through when I'm sitting in my board meetings, you know, um, that, you know, it's okay if, if I make a mistake in what I'm saying here, as long as I recognize it and can say it afterwards, 
and don't mm-hmm. stick to it, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. And that comes from from building a relationship and trust with the individuals that that are on the board with me, um, which which I've been fortunate to you know to have. Um, and also the kind of the, the, the dipping in and dipping out, I, I don't actually have to be expert at everything, yeah. which I've learned along the way, but um, I just feel that being more creative outside of those environments has I've given myself more permission, perhaps. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's a wonderful note on which to end the podcast. Thanks so much Thank for joining you. me. I really appreciate it, Charmaine. There's been some terrific insights into leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Great pleasure.